in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Welcome to Bank of America. Please tell me what you're calling about. Upgrade my accounts. Please hold while your call is being transferred. Thank you for calling Bank of America. My name is Kanisha in Dallas-Fort Worth. If we can start with your first and your last name, please. Gabrielle Dunn. Thank you. And how can I help you today? Uh, I So I just went to a Bank of America in person, and they were talking about that my accounts have 
can be upgraded or they could be changed or something because there's more money in them? Is that I just wanted to know more about that? I see. Yes, I think I know what they're referring to. It looks like they were bringing to your attention that this uh, account, as it stands, has is not earning any interest. And if we were to convert it to the interest checking, um, then that would be the potential to earn interest on the checking account. Then it would be an um, annual percentage rate of zero point. I'm sorry, annual percentage yield of zero point zero three percent with an interest rate of zero point zero three percent. I don't know why I got tongue tied.、Um, It's okay that you got tongue tied because I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, if we're looking at your checking,、uh, it's not earning any interest at all. And how how do I upgrade them? I just say that I want to upgrade them,、mm-hmm. and I can only do I can do that because there's money in those accounts. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. This seems like a trick. This isn't a trick in some way. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, okay.、Um, let's do it then. I guess. Got it. So, if we were to do the core, not the core. Why am I getting tongue tied? I need caffeine. That's what it is. <laughs> it's just all. It's a lot. It's also、yeah. just like a lot of information. <laughs> it is. So I'll, I'll try to simplify it a bit. So what I want to essentially do is convert them all to interest-bearing accounts. So you'll be earning on each account that you do have with us. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Because、mm-hmm. I'm sort of. I'm still like, why are you guys giving me money? <laughs> that、yeah. seems like that seems okay. Yeah, this account is the only type of account that lets us lets us group all of your balances. And when you don't have enough funds to cover reoccurring debit card payments that we complete for you, the account is subject to an overdraft fee as well. Okay, so this works on the assumption that I will continue to have money. <laughs> yeah, you're only subject to an overdraft fee if your account is actually overdrawn. Okay, that kind of thing.、Um, so that part stays the same. Okay. So I have you taken care of, and yeah. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much. I really、no、appreciate、problem. it. Glad I can help, and I certainly want to thank you as well for giving us a call. I do hope you have a wonderful day, Miss Dunn. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye. Okay. That was so much stuff. My brain hurt. At like certain points, I was looking at Instagram. I really shouldn't have been, but. Like, uh, yeah, seems fine. I mean, unless it was a trick. But they're not like trying to trick me, right? They're just gonna give me money. Oh my god. Okay. Well, I hope that was good. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it, or what to do with it, or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, America's deadbeat sweetheart. So obviously, on the show, we talk a lot about our tendencies, or at least my tendencies, to make bad money decisions based on pathology. As we've established, my parents raised me in an environment where it was clear that they didn't have enough money, but that it was okay to load up credit cards or spend money that we didn't have for the sake of giving me and my siblings a happy childhood. So now, as an adult, I'm only just realizing that I have zero ability to understand how much things actually cost, or how badly you're fucking yourself by relying on credit cards that way, and possibly financially enabling my sister in a way that means she too will get into her late twenties not knowing how a bank account works. So the thing about psychological tendencies is that, in a lot of cases, we can alter these behaviors once we become aware of them. 
Dr. Brad Klontz, who you might remember from episode two of this show, described it as catching the bad thoughts and changing your behaviors. Or, as I called it, telling yourself it's opposite day. But what about when you encounter money obstacles that are actually completely beyond your control? One of the coolest things about doing this show has been having frank conversations with my friends about money, which, as I've said, is a weird taboo that makes all of this stuff even harder. And recently I was talking to my friend Carrie Wade, who has cerebral palsy. And guys, you simply won't believe the bullshit that she has to put up with. I was at drinks with her, and we were talking about this podcast before it had come out, and Carrie said it's actually even worse because there are financial disincentives to being disabled. And I was like, what? The government helps you, right? And she was like, no, they don't want to. So much of what she has to confront on a daily basis has to do with an economic system that fundamentally doubts the value of people with disabilities. Here I am ranting into this microphone every week about how bad I am with money. But for Carrie, and for tons of other people with disabilities, it's unbelievably difficult to even acquire money to be bad with. Not that Carrie is bad with money, she's actually pretty responsible, but shouldn't it be just as easy for her to make a mess of her life as it has been for me? Carrie, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about your series? Sure. Um, my name's Carrie Wade. I am a staff writer at autostraddle.com, and I write a series on autostraddle called Queering Disability, which is a series of personal essays and a few other types but mostly personal essays about queerness and disability issues and how they intersect. And now as a staff writer, I do a lot of the disability coverage for the site at large. Carrie's an expert. And so I just wanted, oh, she brought notes. <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert. I do have to bring my notes with me. But yeah, I'll... but the fact that you have notes. <laughs> Are you really surprised knowing me, though? No, I'm not. Right. Um, Carrie likes bow ties and she has glasses, so she's a very academic person. So, okay, so what was it that we were talking about at Mess Hall when I was talking to you about the show? I think the main thing that we talked about is this concept of SSI, which is Supplemental Security Income, which is a monthly payment to people who are age 65 or older, blind or disabled, who have low income or few resources. That's the terminology that they use. And resources can count as stuff like real estate, what's in your bank accounts, the cash and stocks and bonds that you have. They don't factor everything in, but they do factor in like money that you make from work. And the thing that I told you that kind of blew your mind, it sounds like, is that if at any given time they see that as a single person, you have more than $2,000 in resources and assets in your possession at any time when they review what you have, then your benefits can start to get cut. $2,000 a month? Like $2,000 you have in your possession. At any given time? Right. So <laughs> it's happening again. I'm looking <laughs> at your face. So then the other thing that I had mentioned is what's known in the disability activist community as the marriage penalty, which is if and when you marry as a disabled person, your spouse's income is factored into yours mm -hmm. and your benefits are adjusted accordingly, which means cut. And so this happens whether you marry another disabled person or you marry an able-bodied person or you marry someone in between. But if SSI is your sole form of income and you don't want to be dependent on your partner financially, yeah, this turns into a big problem. 
So I have friends who are stuck in this like low income loop. You know, they rely on SSI for basic needs or like some of them use personal care attendants, you know, people who are with them pretty much 24 seven to Mm -hmm. help with feeding and going to the bathroom and changing clothes and doing all sorts of things. Um, And they have to pay those people. Right. And this is how you pay them. Most of the time. So my question is, how do you get out of that loop once you're in it? You can't, really. I mean, if you are gainfully employed eventually, yeah, you know, then you don't get benefits anymore because now you have independent income. See, the interesting thing is, if you're going to apply for disability benefits, the type of disability that you need to have is something that is expected to either last more than one year or result in death, and it inhibits your ability to work. And so disability benefits are explicitly distributed to people who can't work. And so that's a really interesting metric for who qualifies and, like, what does work mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. now, now you're, like, really getting into the high grass of what sort of jobs we value in America. What jobs have you had? So all of my big girl jobs yeah. have been office work. Yeah. And for me, that's fine because it involves a lot of sitting, Mm -hmm. which I'm great at. (laughs) And I'm not a wheelchair user. My only mobility devices are orthotic braces on my feet. Mm -hmm. So very not invasive in terms of taking up a lot of space. They just make my shoes bigger. They don't affect my (laughs) workplace environment. And I'm basically the poster child for what they call reasonable accommodation in the workplace which is the metric for whether a business is compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act. I was going to say, they have to get an elevator. They have to, right. yeah. Right. So a reasonable accommodation is basically something that they have to install to make it possible for a disabled employee to perform the functions of the job, mm-hmm. except if it causes, I hate slash love this term, undue hardship, which is the vaguest thing in the world. Undue so, hardship on the employer? Right, to the business. So if it's, like, too expensive or is going to fundamentally change, like, the structure of your building or office, they don't have to provide it, which means that they don't have to hire I was going to say, so they – I mean, it's never, like, an, a boss goes, oh, well, we're not hiring you because you're disabled. But they could take that into consideration if they're in a building where they're like, oh, well, if we hire this person over this person, we're going to have to put an elevator in and we don't want to do that. And- exactly, You know, sometimes it applies and sometimes it doesn't. Again, this is all very, like, policy Right. Um, But for me, basically anything that I'm going to need, the cost is, like, $20 or less. Right. You know what I mean? Like, get me an ergonomic pillow to sit on and I'm chilling. Like, it's not a big deal, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm, like, kind of in the sweet spot for corporate environments as a diversity hire, like a type of diversity that they don't really have in their workplace very much. And then they can say, oh, look, we got one. So I know. They're just like, we're taking a group photo. Carrie, you need to go in the front of the photo. That's the story of my life. Why is this company pamphlet just pictures of me? I don't understand. (laughs) Me sitting, me standing, me taking the stairs, me taking the elevator. Anyway, so, yeah, working in these office environments, it's always kind of strange, you know, being the token disabled person Mm -hmm. in an environment where nobody, I mean, nobody really expects to see disabled people existing happily in public. In the world. But that's the other thing I think of, like, with the benefits, right? Is that, like, because you're able to work and and you're in an office or you're writing, so people will, like, 
encounter you. They see you versus like someone who's on these benefits may not leave their house. And that's like what more people think of when they think of a disabled person. Because you're able to work, do you think like people are like, hey, good for you. You did it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm the type of disabled person that we want to see. Right. It's like the one that made it. Right. (laughs) And like I have friends. I have relationships. I have a job. I live not with my family. You know, I carry you're so brave. Right. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad you're inspired. I just want you to understand that your entire existence is here to inspire me, the able-bodied person. Exactly. And um, I'm just like really feel like you're so brave. Don't you feel better? I feel great. (laughs) Whenever I'm around. You're like, oh, man. I'm, like, going to cry. Okay. Wouldn't be funny if it wasn't super true for a lot of people. No, I know. And then I feel like the flip side is true of the people who do get disability and don't work where people go, ugh, well, why can't they just be like how Carrie is? They're taking money from us. They're draining our resources, our taxes or whatever. Right. And you hear all of these stories about people scamming the system and like Mm -hmm. being leeches on society and that sort of thing. It is really hard to game the disability benefit system. The level of testing that some of my friends have had to go through to qualify for these things. Like what? Like they meet with a psychiatrist. They have to do a bunch of doctor's appointments. You have to get input and like signed feedback from pretty much every doctor that's ever even thought about treating you, Mm -hmm. which if you're disabled is a ton of people. Mm -hmm. Like if you go back through my medical record, I'm 27. It's the size of somebody who's probably in their 50s who's an able-bodied person, right? Just like so many things, so many consultations with like particular people, even if you only saw someone once, they can ask for that. You have to compile a lot of paperwork. It's really hard to fake it. And I mean... That's and people another... are like, oh, I don't want to bring two forms of ID to the DMV. Right. So, like, imagine if you had to bring every doctor's record you've ever had to qualify for disability. Right. And disability isn't even that much – like, is it really worth it? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think the thing that is interesting about all of this, and I was thinking about this last night, is we don't really account for how physically demanding it is to have a full-time job. That's just something that people take for granted as, like, a thing you will do as an adult. You know, even nine-to-fives, like, office jobs. Everybody's like, oh, that's so easy. Like, you just go and you sit there and you do the thing. But, like, let's talk about how you got to work today. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, I came here in my car. That's another privilege, right? right? I can drive. Not every disabled person is even eligible to drive. And so if you have to use public transit, okay, then that factors in, A, longer commute times, B, longer distances between the station and your office, let's Mm -hmm. say. And do you even live in an area that has public transportation? Right. So disabled people in rural areas are kind of fucked a lot of the time because they can't get into a major city center to go to a job. Right. Right? And then, like, there are things like paratransit, which is those vans you know that you mm-hmm. schedule a pickup time and but like the nickname for those among disabled people is para-stranded like they don't ever really show up on time if they show up at all so you're having to like basically plan your entire day it's like when you have a repairman come to your house and he's like we could show up anytime between nine and one and yeah, so you just I have mean, to be there i don't trust an airport shuttle to take me to the airport exactly so getting to work and then getting back is, like, already a huge physical exertion. Mm -hmm. Um, I 
you know, my muscles are always tight. That's like a symptom of cerebral palsy, right? Which means I'm always using energy. Like even sitting here talking to you, even though I'm not doing anything, my muscles are, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so I'm going to be tired after this, even though this wasn't technically like a physical exercise. Right? right. And so if you're sitting in the office all day, that's one thing. But if your muscles are always tight, they're still tight, even if you're sitting in that chair, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So there's that. And like, we're all sort of expected to work this eight-hour day at a minimum, and that's mm-hmm. just, like, what you do when you work, quote-unquote. But what if you need to, like, go in for weekly doctor's appointments about something that's related to your disability? Then what? And like, Then you're, like, taking too much time off. Right, or... exactly. Then you're a slacker. And, right. like, you know, to get reasonable accommodation in your workplace at all, you have to disclose your disability to your employer. And for a million reasons, people might not be comfortable doing that. It's especially rough on folks with invisible disabilities because if you can't see our papers, right? I mean, with me, even if I didn't say anything, people would know something was up. And, like, obviously I'm very open about this. I have no problem discussing it with anyone at any time. Hi, I'm on your podcast. But, like, you know, some people don't feel that way for whatever reason. Our friend friend Ryan O'Connell, who's a, a writer, a very good writer that I've known for a long time, um, he also has cerebral palsy, and he, for a, a long time, just told people he was hit by a car. Right. I think he's written about it extensively, that yeah. he was embarrassed or that he just didn't want people to pity him or all the reasons, you know, that we just talked about, about people being like, you did it, Carrie. Like, Right. You don't want to be treated like a child when you're a grown woman. Yeah. You know? I think that's the thing that has always pissed me off, <laughs> is that nobody expects you to do fucking anything ever. And right. so when you... Do a thing. Everybody acts like it's the second coming of Christ, right? And you're just like, <laughs> I. This is not. It's like when a. It's like when a baby like claps, yeah. and then you're like, exactly. Oh my god, the baby got motor skills. Like the baby, yeah. you know, like, oh god. It's like you're doing your first word every time. People pull out their cameras and are like, I just want to. I'll record it. Exactly. What about um the costs of being disabled that people wouldn't maybe know about? We talked about like doctor's appointments, endless doctor's appointments. Right. Um, There's medical devices. So Mm -hmm. these braces, um, you know, they're expensive. They're covered by insurance, Mm -hmm. thank God. Um, But if they weren't, you know, that's a couple grand at least, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that. Even when you have stuff like I have, which is like the lowest possible grade, you know, if you're going to have a mobility device, this is probably the lowest key one. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not even counting for things like power wheelchairs and stuff like that. Um, So medical devices, surgeries, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I've had one major surgery about every 10 years. Oh. And it's not because something, quote unquote, happened necessarily it's just in childhood it was like tune-ups you know it was like oh there's this thing that can help you like do x y and z thing better Mm -hmm. so or like strengthen this muscle or whatever so we're gonna do that in adulthood it's more like accounting for the deterioration of your body (laughs) and that affects you more you know patch her up guys yeah put her back together exactly so i've been through those as well I mean, even you talking about the the van or whatever, the, the Paris stranded, yep. people that have to Uber everywhere or people right. that have like special things put into their cars so they can drive. Which is what I have. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. 
What do you have? I have a hand control. So instead of using the gas and brake pedals on the floor, I have like something right next to my gear shift. So if I push it forward, it's the brakes and I pull back, it's the gas. Did you have to get that installed in the car? Yeah. And it was a few thousand dollars. And also driving lessons, right? So I had to go through a particular driving school that was through a hospital because they had to certify that I needed this thing. Mm. I couldn't just go through Delta, you know, and be like, hey, I need a hand control in my car. Like they don't do that. That's the type of stuff that I think people wouldn't think about. Right. And that's and that, guys, is called privilege. <laughs> We've learned something here today. <laughs> How educational. <laughs> See, I'm educating you as an able-bodied person. That's my other job. <laughs> I'm supposed to make you feel better and educate you. That's the job that you don't get paid to do. That's right. the other thing. I mean, now, sort of, through autostraddle. But, like, that's the other thing. And I felt that a lot. I mean, you are queer, as am I. But I at jobs that I've had, I've felt like I had the job. And then my other job was token queer person who had to answer all questions about lesbians and had to, like, check everybody's scripts that came through to make sure they weren't homophobic. And, like, that was my second job was I was doing my own job and I was also doing the job of, like, hey, your script is sexist. Right. I mean, I had to call – I, like, called a friend of mine in New York who's um, a black guy writer and I was like, is your job also black guy? And he was like, yes, all the time. <laughs> right. I don't mind that. <laughs> Please tokenize me for money. That's great. I am available. I've heard that from other people, too. Yeah. Like, I would like to benefit from your inability to Google and <laughs> please, please pay, pay me. me. Exactly. Um, when you say what's the cost of being disabled, it's not all just money. It's also time. Yeah, exactly. Right? And like being disabled takes up so much time mm-hmm. because it takes you longer to do anything, you know, whether you're doing it alone or with help or somewhere in between, you're going to need the time to do that. And then you're probably going to be really tired at the end of your day. So you probably need to go to bed earlier than most people. Mm -hmm. So that cuts off some hours in your day. Mm -hmm. There's also the time you spend explaining to able-bodied people why (laughs) they need to shut the fuck up. You just invoice like, I don't know who, but just be able to invoice people for ableism and then also like send an invoice being like it took me 45 minutes to put my shoes on this morning i would like to invoice for that time (laughs) exactly (laughs) before i could even get to your establishment yeah um you know i've taken it upon myself to sort of become this professional disabled person via autostraddle Mm -hmm. and i mean that's not the only thing that i write about for autostraddle so that's nice because i can sort of balance it but that is my area of specialty i love being the disabled person at autostraddle because I hope one day that means I'm a disabled person at autostraddle, mm-hmm. right? And But you need to start with one. And, like, not everybody is willing to take on that responsibility of education, especially because the historical relationship between able-bodied and disabled people when it comes to that is so fraught and so definitely tied up in, like, gender and race dynamics and, you know, the infantilization that we were talking about and whatever. And so I completely understand the million valid reasons why somebody would not want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that I am pretty uniquely positioned as a highly privileged person in the disabled community to sort of use those powers for good. Everybody likes to pick the member of a minority group that they are least terrified of and make (laughs) that person the person. And I've benefited from that hands down for sure. Yeah. Um, But It's impossible to do that fairly for any minority group, but Mm -hmm. for disabled folks especially, disability means so many things, right? Mm -hmm. And the other interesting thing about the disabled population is it's the one minority group that anybody can join at any moment in their lives without warning. 
Yeah. Right? Like, you could wake up tomorrow and that could be it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, your able-bodied days could be over and, like, eventually there will be an explanation. But maybe not. Maybe it just happens. You always hear about people who, you know, they get in a motorcycle accident and they lose a limb or they get in a motorcycle accident and they're in a wheelchair and... It's like, oh, and it costs so much money, you know, like they go bankrupt and then they can't work because of they now have this disability. And you would think that it would create more empathy with people going, well, that could happen to me. I could get hit by a car tomorrow. No, in the United States, it's I'm glad that's not me. Yeah. Like that's the way that we kind of think about disabled people is there. I know. Glad it's not me. And I think, you know, we could easily go on, like, a queer feminist anti-capitalist rant right now. Welcome to Bad With Money. Time for the queer feminist anti-capitalist rant portion. You need, like, an air horn or yeah. something. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's our country's values, right? And, yeah. And, you know, where did the concept of disability originally come from? Like, not being able to contribute economically to your community. So, like... That's the real thing. Right. That's what I'm talking about when people go, like, well, they're a drain on society. Right. And people talk about that. People talk about, you know, able-bodied parents that lash out and hurt their disabled children. Right. There are a lot of media narratives about it, especially with autistic kids. It's like... It must be so hard on the family. I understand. And it's like, this is murder or this is child abuse. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't call it something else. They're a drain on the family's finances. Exactly. And, like, they put themselves in that parent's position and they have a lot of empathy for the parent who's causing harm to a child. But not for the actual person. Right. They're not going to bother to put themselves in the child's shoes because they look at that and they're like, well, that'll never be me, so whatever. Yeah, dehumanizing. Right. Exactly. And it's an interesting thing about what makes you human, which is ability to contribute to society, question mark. (laughs) Apparently in some value systems. So, yeah. No, This has been the most depressing episode of Band With Money. (laughs) It's bleak. (laughs) It's bleak out here. (laughs) Come through. It's so bleak. (laughs) Well, one question that ties into that is, like, you budget for a baby. You don't budget for a disabled baby. Right. So did your parents talk about that or have you guys ever talked about that? Well, we talked about it last night when I called to be like, why didn't we ever talk about SSI? Um, You know, and that's just always been something that my family financially has been able to handle. Yeah. We are not wealthy people. We're not rich, Mm -hmm. but we're certainly better off than the vast majority of people. I know that my parents accounted for it. And once they knew that it was a thing, you know, they did exactly what you are, quote unquote, supposed to do. Like they had me in physical therapy from the start and like stuff like that. But that is all privilege and resources. Exactly. Makes that available. It's like, okay, well, you have a pension, you have Mm -hmm. health insurance, you live in Los Angeles. So your closest major hospital is Children's Hospital Los Angeles, which is one of the best in the world. Congratulations. Right. You know, it's like all these things lining up in exactly the right way. My parents knew to take advantage and they could afford to take advantage. But again, that's an exception. And so it's been very interesting. Like the first job that I wanted to have as a kid was professional basketball player. (laughs) Like, that tells you how far off. That's every kid, though. I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut. Right. Like, that's every kid. Right. And even so there are those, like, fanciful child jobs, right? But, like, my disability didn't register with me as a thing in my life that mattered until I was, like, 22. Oh. So it was when I was starting to think about jobs, 
I wasn't even thinking about, well, I'm a disabled person trying to get a job. Right. It was just like, I'm a 22-year-old trying to get a job. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't, you know, when people talk about people's feminist awakening, like I hadn't had that moment with my disability yet. Um, And it's because I am, as somebody called me once to my mother's face, so close to normal. Ah! I know. I think that's going to be my (laughs) memoir title, though. That's a really good memoir title. It's good. Um, But... You know, because I was that, nobody was ever like, well, you're disabled, so X, Y, and Z things are going to be harder for you. Yeah. It was always this rhetoric of, you can do it, kiddo, and then they get to feel good when it happens, right? And I'm also, you know, in school, it was like a constant reward system for major brainiac kids like me, so I got, you know, straight A's and was like practically perfect in every way. Right. And you're not disabled in the sense, like, I have a nephew with autism, and that is more of like it affects his school and right and like his ability to be seen as like an achiever by teachers and stuff exactly and i think that a lot of my achievement mentality was compensation you know i didn't want people to think of me in that way i didn't want them to see me as deficient so i like way overcompensated in another area Mm -hmm. but i didn't really think about disability affecting anything in my life let alone my job prospects until i was kind of already in a job And, you know, it's only now that I've, you know, in the time, in the couple of years that I've started to take disability activism really seriously and, you know, working for Autostraddle and starting to talk about it publicly that I'm like, oh, here are the various privilege systems that interlocked to get you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. Right. But that wasn't a thing that I thought about. It is also like all parents for anything that that you do, I think. Like uh, my family doesn't have a lot of money and my nephew needing extra tutoring or needing what he needs is like a constant conversation. And so it it does kind of like really depend on like the type of parents that you like. Allison talks all the time about how, you know, she has very severe OCD and she talks all the time about how if her parents had been any less than as good as they were, like she would have fallen apart. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's never been something that was discussed as a negative in my house. No, yeah. Um, But it was not ever, like, a cloying thing. Like, especially my older sister, her, like, defining trait for our whole lives has been not letting me get away with bullshit. (laughs) Because she's like, you can basically get away with doing or not doing anything because you have cerebral palsy. Nobody is going to yell at you. Nobody's going to push you to do anything, which is 100% true. And, like, some of those things I've internalized and I'm just now getting rid of as, like, a nearly 30-year-old. Yeah. Right? Like, remain quiet, smile all the time. Like, if you can't do something, it's really fine. Like, if it's too scary, just don't do it. You know, like, internalizing those things. And my sister has been like, nope, (laughs) you know, and she's just not having it. And so to have a family that understands that and can provide for you, Mm -hmm. it's like the perfect sweet spot. My sister once described me as disabled enough, which I think is a pretty accurate (laughs) summary. Like, the other thing in my family is enough for the DMV, but not enough for the fetishists. (laughs) I love your family very much. So good. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Hi. Um, What did you show me a text that was like your parents being like, have fun at the dance or don't dance, and then just a bunch of wheelchair emojis? (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Wade family. (laughs) And I'm like cracking up and everybody else isn't sure whether they can laugh or not. Exactly. Yeah. That's my fam. Carrie, thank you very much for being on my podcast. Of course. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, I just, I feel like I've learned a lot and felt a lot. 
uh, feel better? No, Carrie, you're <laughs> not here to make me feel better. God damn it. But do you? No, I feel worse. But that's just me. <laughs> looking at my Facebook status after I graduated from college and not having any job to fill in. And I felt worthless. I felt like because I didn't have a job that I could enter on Facebook, I wasn't a real person. I had no identity. I had no place in this world. Even going into a job in the morning, having a nine to five makes you feel like you you belong and like you are viewed by other people, whether it's like your family or friends or even, you know, the outside world that reads your Twitter bio. I was consumed by looking like I was contributing to the world in some way and that I was worth something. And so talking to Carrie, we do that to other people. We view other people that way. And if you're a person with a disability, the assumption is that the world is made for able-bodied people, which it is. And so a lot of times on this show, we talk about money and making money in this way that has to do with me, Gabby, an able-bodied person. And I think it's important, especially if we're going to talk about something that touches everything in everyone's lives, to see it from a different perspective. You know, I think it's, better if we let Carrie have the last word. I am grateful in ways that I cannot describe mm-hmm. for my parents. And I mean, their financial resources being, you know, bottom of the list emotionally. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But practically speaking, like, thank God. Thank God they had that. Thanks for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes, subscribe, and tell all your friends who are also bad with money that this is a safe space. Also, feel free to tell all your friends who are making sure they max out the employer matching contributions on their 401ks. Also, what is a 401k? Does the K stand for something? Does it stand for cool? But like spelled K-E-W-L? Like I sometimes spell it because I'm a cool person? We are part of the Panoply Network. Our producer is the handsome Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production. And Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Our engineer is Josh Lewis. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Our show art is by Cameron Glavin. And in case you forgot after all those names, I'm Gabby Dunn, and I will talk to you next time. Bye! Bye!